Welcome to NTD News Today. Here are today's top stories. People around the world bring in the new year in their own unique ways. Take a global tour with us to see some of the most memorable celebrations. Japan has lowered its major tsunami warning level after a series of earthquakes hit its western coastline. But officials are urging caution to find out the latest. We'll soon be able to learn the names of over 150 people associated with sex offender Jeffrey Epstein. Find out who was re referred to as John Doe 36 in previously sealed court documents. New year, new laws. From abortion bans to minimum wage raises, what to know about the new laws taking effect today? Pope Francis's recent declaration that allows Catholic priests to bless same-sex couples drawing criticism. Find out more about reactions in the Vatican. From South Korea to the NFL, an Atlanta Falcons kicker took the spotlight in 2023. What were some of his biggest accomplishments and what's he looking forward to in 2024? This is NTD News Today, live from our NTD Global Headquarters. Here are Stephania Cox and Chris Beers. Japan dropped its highest level tsunami alert after a series of earthquakes hit its western coastline today. Residents were cautioned not to return to their homes as deadly waves could still be coming. Prime Minister Fumio Kishida said earlier that authorities would respond to disasters in a way that puts human life first. I would like to ask all residents to continue to pay close attention to the occurrence of this strong earthquake. If you are in a region where a tsunami is expected, please evacuate as soon as possible. Japan's meteorological agency reported that more than a dozen quakes off its western coast around 4 p.m. local time. That's the largest within a preliminary magnitude of 7.6. The first waves were reported hitting the coast about 10 minutes later. A government spokesman said at least six homes were damaged in the quake. Fires broke out in the affected areas and more than 30,000 homes were without power. Japanese authorities warned that torrents could reach as high as 16 feet. The warning has now been downgraded to a normal tsunami. That means waters could still be as high as 10 feet. The agency said aftershocks are also possible in the same area in the coming days. The Japanese government said another magnitude 7 quake hit the same area at 11 p.m., but later corrected it to a magnitude 3. A major earthquake and tsunami in 2011 caused meltdowns in the Fukushima nuclear plant. The area hit today does have a nuclear plant nearby. A government spokesman said no irregularities have been detected at any nuclear power plants in Japan. And different countries have their own unique ways to ring in the new year. We bring you some of the most memorable celebrations from around the world. 2024 arrived in style on Monday. Celebrations at iconic locations were enjoyed by millions of people worldwide. Each country has its own style of ringing in the new year, like this unique lantern release in Tokyo. Japan is among the first to celebrate the holiday due to its location far east. Revelers in Auckland, New Zealand were treated to fireworks in a light show atop the thousand-foot-tall sky tower there. Sydney, Australia thrilled the audience with a spectacular fireworks display set off from multiple locations. 
In Seoul, Korea, they literally rang in the new year on a massive bell, followed by a fabulous light show. Taiwan's celebration was located around the 1600-foot 101 tower in Taipei. Europe had plenty of great celebrations too, like this one at Berlin's famous Brandenburg Gate. The chimes of Big Ben rang in the new year along London's River Thames. Hundreds of thousands converged on the Champs-Élysées in Paris for a festive celebration there. Different cultures may have different ways to celebrate the new year, but one thing is certain, audiences look forward to each festive observance. And just blocks from the New Year's Eve celebrations in Times Square, an accident put a damper on festivities. An out-of-control driver injured nine people, including an NYPD officer. When police tried to intervene in a dispute, the 44-year-old driver fled the scene and hit several police cars and pedestrians. The injured people were taken to hospitals and are reportedly in stable condition. The driver is in critical but stable condition. Charges against him are pending. Details of the initial dispute remain unclear. To reflect on the past and future from the peak of the year, we're joined by Jeffrey Tucker, founder and president of the Brownstone Institute. Jeffrey, if you could summarize 2023 for America in one word, what would it be? Well, it was the year of the collapse of the experts. <laughs> That's more than one word. But uh, expertise has uh, been discredited in so many parts. And I'm talking about like government experts, academic experts, um, at all levels of society, uh, medical experts, media, everything. We're living in an age of incredulity, really. And trust is gone from so many of the commanding heights that we used to believe in. And the great struggle force, and that's a bit of a shock, and the great struggle force in the coming year, and for many years, I suppose, is that sort of rebuilding of trust. Maybe not so much in trusting these institutions that have uh, revealed themselves, as in many ways not our friends and not tellers of the truth, but in rebuilding new institutions. Yeah. And I think that's what our lives are all about right now. And Jeffrey, what will it take to rebuild that trust like you're talking about? Well, I, I think it's going to require all sorts of new institutions and new efforts. And it, we really do have to ask fundamental questions these days in our own lives as a country and as an entire world. You know, what kind of society do we want to live in? Do we want it to be a free society that's civilized, uh, where truth matters and that uh, the people are in charge of their governments? Or are we going to continue this sort of great reset program of top-down management censorship and control of the population with shot mandates and central bank digital currencies. There's some terrible threats on the horizon. And it's really up to everyone to decide, you know, do we want to live in this kind of world that the ruling class elites are trying to build for us? Yeah. Or do we want to push back and, and have democracy and have freedom? And Jeffrey, just looking at the, the past year um, broadly, what surprised you most in the headlines in 2023? Well, I suppose that in some ways, uh, a lot of what was hidden in 2022 became out in the open in 2023. We came to the realization that the vaccine mandates were pointless, that the shot was uh, either worthless or uh, destructive, that the censorship is pervasive, that the media is over-consolidated and under corporate control and invaded by uh, government actors. You know. <laughs> 
we found out all these things in 2023. We suspected them in 2022, but in 23, they were confirmed for us. So, you know, this is a bit of a shock going into 24. And and we're facing, you know, tremendous uh, nudges yeah. to, uh, to, to adopt all these new technologies that many people don't want. Uh, the markets are fascinating to watch because so many of the technologies they've been trying to push on us are not performing well. EVs are, are kind of falling apart. There's so many things that they want us to do. Uh, fake meat, you know, you can go through the list. It's not working. The DEI is not working. So uh, this is the struggle for us, you know, and, and as I say, we really are at a crossroads, standing on the precipice of something big and interesting. I hope that in the new year, we're going to get some accountability for what happened to us over the previous yeah. three years. And it looks like it could be coming. And why do you say it looks like it could be coming? Well, it starts off with a bang. We're getting a, a House a House of Representatives committee is going to be interrogating uh, Fauci. Uh, <laughs> That should be a fascinating thing to watch. We've been waiting for this for years. And we have so much litigation pending over so many areas of life, from the censorship to uh, the power of big pharma. Uh, so much is happening. We're, we're, there's going to be all sorts of revelations. Maybe 2024 will be the year of, of openness and accountability, at least start the process. And I think... That, more than anything else, will begin our sort of healing as a people. There's so much broken from education to academia. So much is broken in this country and it needs to be fixed and we need to heal as a people. And I hope that process starts in 24. All right. Jeffrey Tucker, founder and president of the Brownstone Institute. Thank you and Happy New Year. Coming up, who would former President Trump pick as a running mate? We'll dive into the speculation that he has some female candidates in mind and how that could affect the race. And it took a freedom of information request, but we now know what's in an FDA report on Moderna and possibly unsafe practices making COVID vaccines. More in just a moment. Several prominent people, including former President Bill Clinton and Britain's Prince Andrew, could be getting some unwanted attention this week. This as many secret court papers about the late sex offender Jeffrey Epstein will become public. The documents are from a 2015 lawsuit from Epstein accuser Virginia Jufre. A judge decided that there's no good reason to keep the ex-president's name and over 150 other names hidden in the records. The names were previously known only as John and Jane Doe's. Clinton will allegedly be revealed as John Doe 36. Manhattan federal judge Loretta Preska made this decision just before Christmas. The judge said the documents can be opened after January 1st. Senator Lindsey Graham suggests former President Trump might be immune from prosecution. That's in the case alleging Trump tried to overturn the 2020 election. A CBS News anchor asked the Republican senator if he thinks Trump's immunity claim is legitimate. I think his immunity claim, I don't know how it will, will bear out, but I think it's a legitimate claim. But 
they're prosecuting him for activity around January the 6th. He didn't break into the Capitol. He gave an, uh, a fiery speech, but he's not the first guy to ever do that. So at the end of the day, I think this case will not go to trial before the election. Graham, who's the ranking member of the Senate Judiciary Committee, says there are a lot of legal questions behind this issue. According to the senator, it's not clear what a president can and cannot do. Special Counsel Jack Smith charged Trump with trying to illegally overturn the 2020 election. Trump's lawyers say that he was the commander-in-chief at the time and was acting in his capacity as president. They argue this means he's immune from prosecution. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis stayed busy campaigning on New Year's Eve. The presidential candidate attended a New Year's Eve event in West Des Moines, Iowa, asking people if they were ready to work hard and win the Iowa caucuses. So let's get it done. We have 2024 ahead of us. Uh, we hold the future in our hands. We have it within our power uh, to put this country on a totally new trajectory. And the way I view the, the choice in this primary, uh, Donald Trump is running on his issues. Nikki Haley is running on her donors' issues. I'm the only one running on your issues. DeSantis hit the campaign trail during the week between Christmas and New Year's. The presidential candidate stayed focused on his drive to touch all 99 of Iowa's counties. DeSantis and his supporters asked the audience Sunday to ignore polls that still show him trailing Trump by a significant margin. This with just two weeks left before the Iowa contest. Law enforcement reportedly swatted the home of Delaware computer repairman John Paul McIsaac. He became known after going public with the contents of Hunter Biden's laptop. McIsaac says he wasn't home at the time and that the officers responded quickly and professionally. He called the swatting incident a waste of time, saying, quote, nothing will take him out of the fight. Swatting is the act of making a false report to law enforcement. The goal is to get authorities, particularly a SWAT team, to show up at a certain address. Could Trump choose a female running mate if he's nominated? A Congress Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene and South Dakota Governor Kristi Noem will stump for the former president at seven or more of his new campaign stops in Iowa. In September, Trump said on, CB on NBC's Meet the Press he liked the concept of a female VP. I spoke with Epic Times reporter Janice Heisel about this possibility. Janice Heisel, thank you so much for joining us again. Uh, what does this signal about Green and Noam's future in the Republican Party and a potential Trump administration? What are you hearing out there? Well, I've got to tell you, even though both of these women have actually spoken on behalf of the former president on previous occasions, by putting them out there in Iowa, while literally the whole world is watching to see what happens with these first-in-nation caucuses, they are getting under a bigger spotlight right now. And and, and what can that do for them politically? What, what is the, what's the significance of that? They are already fairly well-known, especially Marjorie Taylor Greene, because she is r really in the mix of, with a lot of the political things that have been happening lately. But I got to tell you, both of these ladies are possibly going to be considered for vice president, according to several people who I've spoken to. Um, you know, right now, the Trump campaign is not saying anything official, but by putting them out there in Iowa, it may be viewed as sort of like a test balloon. Maybe they, they're floating the idea and see how these ladies would be received with the big national spotlight on Iowa as those first-in-nation caucuses happen on January the 15th.
And what have these two female G GOP leaders said about the prospect of being Trump's running mate? Well, I know that both of them have expressed an interest. And in fact, I know that Marjorie Taylor Greene had said she would be honored. And she also further stated it was her understanding that she was on the short list of potential VP picks for President Trump. Got it. And based on what you're hearing and seeing, who are the other contenders for Trump's running mate pick if he wins the nomination? Well, I've got to tell you, even though there have been quite a few media reports referencing Nikki Haley, uh, as you know, she was Trump's uh, UN ambassador during his administration, and she also was a former governor of South Carolina. Uh, but from what I'm hearing, uh, a lot of people in Trump's base, his core of supporters, do not approve of her at all. And she doesn't seem to really care for the idea to be vice president. In fact, she said she was in it to win it. She doesn't want to be number two. And who is Trump's base most excited for as a VP pick? Well, you know, it seems to be all, all over the board right now. I've actually run across more than 40 names that have been mentioned in various ways uh, who could possibly be in, in the mix here. And Trump and his team, well, they're just not saying. Okay, got it. So it'll be a mystery for now. Um, I, in your article, you were saying that usually uh, uh, nominees uh, pick their vice president, their running mate. Um, during the summertime. Um, you know, when it comes to bringing a wider pool of voters, what kind of qualities and backgrounds does a, does a presidential nominee look for uh, in a running mate? Well, it's actually an interesting balancing act from what I've been told by some professors I interviewed and some legal analysts. They're saying how, for example, ideally, if you could pick the ideal vice president what, would, what qualities would that person have? Well, one of them would be that they would bring in some additional voters that maybe would not consider the presidential candidate without them. For example, you know, the female block, maybe some women would feel better about voting for Trump if there's a female running mate, or maybe somebody who's an ethnic minority. For example, Senator Tim Scott, who had been running for president, he happens to be black and maybe you know there would be some more black people who would give trump a second look who hadn't considered him before so you know trying to bring in some new voters is definitely one of the uh, qualities you'd look for but the other thing is you really want somebody who is not so charismatic that this person would overshadow the presidential candidate they would also have to be humble enough that they would be yeah. willing to serve the president. That's right. All right, Janice Heisel, thank you so much and Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you. Expired materials, anti-contamination rules broken. A new FDA reports cite multiple shortcomings at a Moderna plant used to make COVID-19 vaccines. The FDA inspected a Massachusetts plant nine times in September. They discovered that machines making a substance used in the vaccine weren't cleaned well before use. Other findings included written alarm steps being ignored and machines in workplaces not designed to prevent contamination. Inspectors also learned that Moderna used materials beyond their expiration date, with more than 2,000 expired items found in the warehouse. The report was initially delivered to Moderna to help them comply with federal law.
The FDA's media office refused to release it publicly, but it was obtained through a Freedom of Information Act request. The Supreme Court Justice Chief, uh, Chief Justice John Roberts is concerned about artificial intelligence. In his end-of-the-year report yesterday, he says AI poses a threat to the judicial system. He said while AI can increase access to legal information for people, especially those unable to hire a lawyer, he also sees dangers with the tech. Roberts said AI could invade a person's privacy and dehumanize the law. The committee overseeing policy for the federal courts will soon examine AI's proper use in litigation. In his report, Roberts didn't discuss disputes involving former President Trump or the court's new code of conduct. New Year, new laws. There are a number of new rules coming into effect today. Some of them include bans on cross-sex procedures, abortion access, and an increase to the minimum wage. Idaho and Louisiana are now banning cross-sex surgeries and procedures for minors. On the other hand, Maryland passed protections for cross-sex procedures and requires Medicaid to cover them. Washington State and California passed laws that will attempt to make abortion procedures more accessible, including to out-of-state patients. Nearly half of all U.S. states will increase their minimum wage this year. Washington will continue to have the highest minimum wage, while Hawaii will see the largest increase in minimum wage. And student loan payments may now affect how much people are able to save for retirement. A new law will allow student loan payments to boost 401ks for some workers. Hotel workers in California went on strike yesterday, right before the Rose Parade and Rose Bowl game in Pasadena. The workers want higher wages, better health insurance, and fair workloads. People attending the Rose Parade and Rose Bowl game were advised to avoid the picket lines. Anticipated crowds of 800,000 will gather today to witness the 135th annual New Year's tradition, the Rose Bowl Parade featuring floral floats, equestrian units, and marching bands parading through the streets. Following the parade, the 110th annual Rose Bowl game is set to begin at 1 p.m. local time, featuring a match between the Alabama Crimson Tide and the Michigan Wolverines. And coming up, Presidents Vladimir Putin and Volodymyr Zelensky both address their nations as the new year starts. We bring you what they say about the ongoing war. Looking now at the U.S.-Mexico border, a new government report shows a sharp rise in the number of non-detained illegal immigrants in the U.S. Now more than 6 million people. That's up from 4.7 million in 2022. To delve into this and more, we spoke with Victor Avila, a retired supervisory special agent with U.S. Immigration and Customs Homeland Security Investigations. Victor Avila, you've just been down there at the border in Eagle Pass, Texas. What did you see? I'll tell you what I saw. Um, nothing that I've seen in my 20 years of my professional career or personal life working this border and uh, just the sheer numbers of of illegals coming in through our country is uh, it's just something that uh, I go through a lot of mixed emotions when I stand there because I don't recognize our country, especially when it com comes to law and order. Uh, our constitution is being ignored. Our immigration laws are being ignored, not just by this administration, by, but, but the rest of the world uh, sending their people as well. 
Yeah, what is the demographic of the people coming across at the moment? I'll tell you who's not coming. Now, the people that you would think that a lot of people think will a lot be Mexicans or Central Americans, but that's not the case. You got South Americans, Asians, Haitians, uh, Africans, uh, Western Europeans. You got people from all over the world coming into um, uh, th this southern portion of, uh, of Texas, but also Arizona. Uh, a lot of special interest aliens, what we call SIAs, that come from special interest countries that the Department of Homeland Security categorize them as having potential connections to terrorist groups. And these individuals are also coming. I'm talking from countries like Bangladesh, Yemen, Somalia, etc. Wow. And you also have extensive experience fighting human trafficking and child trafficking. Tell me about what you've called fraudulent families that you said you've seen at the border. Absolutely. I'm a subject matter expert in human trafficking investigations. And uh, one of the things that I learned and the intel that I've received and the, the cartels are forming these fraudulent families where they form this man, woman and child that are not next of kin to each other. They're not related at all. Uh, they sometimes force the mother to give them up. Believe it or not, sometimes the parents give up the child willingly because of the coercion. Sometimes that the cartel tells them we will get you smuggled a different direction and reunite you with your child on the other end of the border. But we know that that hasn't happened at least 100,000 times and that this administration has lost these number of kids. But um, there's, there's a lot of that fraud coming over with family units because they know that the family units get treated differently once they come into the U.S. And because there is no DNA testing, there is no enforcement of our law, the cartels, uh, along with other NGO groups, by the way, non-government organizations are taking advantage of this. And you showed footage of a Border Patrol checkpoint outside of Eagle Pass, Texas, that was closed recently, saying that it was a national security risk. Why do you think it would be closed at this time? Well, the, the Border Patrol has pulled every single personnel that they have available, everybody, including these checkpoints that we have, as a last resort to try to keep and identify some of the human smugglers, obviously the drug traffickers that use these highways to enter further into the United States. By the way, this is not the only checkpoint that's closed. There's others along the Texas border and Arizona border that have also been closed because they've pulled the Border Patrol personnel to come down to the border and process the illegals. The other part of the CBP, the Customs and Border Protection Office of Field Operations, the, the, uh, the men and women in blue uniforms, if you will, mm. uh, have also been pulled from the ports of entry. As a matter of fact, in Eagle Pass, Texas, the port was closed in one lane and there was a tremendous amount of traffic, so much that it's taking people 12 hours to cross from Mexico into the U.S. in yeah. a vehicle. Wow. Now, the Biden administration is threatening to sue Texas over its new border security law. If they can't enforce border laws, what can overwhelmed border states like Texas do to deal with this issue? Well, I'll tell you, Texas is trying to do everything legislatively at this point. And yes, the law has been signed uh, by Governor Abbott, and it's called SB4, and it will take an effect in March. And already we see the Biden administration fighting for the safety and, uh, and protection of the Americans and Texans in instead of uh, jumping along here and protecting our country. No, the Biden administration sites with the cartels, sites with the other countries, fighting our effort to secure the border. Mm. And I want to make something clear with SB4. This is for uh, individuals that will be identified coming across the, uh, the river uh, illegally that will uh, 
be detained by the state of Texas and possibly uh, repatriated right then and there, sent back. This is not an operation that's going to go around the state of Texas looking for people and identifying illegals. They will be identified right then and there at the river. All right. Thank you so much, Victor Avila. Always great to speak with you. A recent declaration by the Vatican allows Catholic priests to bless same-sex couples, but a close aide to the last pope says he never would have approved of that. This as the Vatican marked the first anniversary yesterday of Pope Benedict XVI's death. There is no homosexual matrimony, doesn't, doesn't exist, cannot exist. The Vatican's landmark declaration on December 18th said same-sex blessings cannot resemble the sacrament of matrimony between a man and a woman. But some pro-LGBT advocates saw it as a possible precursor of same-sex marriage in the church. And now we're heading to Europe and to the Indo-Pacific to find out what leaders said in their New Year's addresses. German Chancellor Olaf Scholz is calling for more unity in the European Union, saying working together makes them stronger on a global stage as the EU gears up for the elections this year, Scholz added. As soon as COVID was halfway over, Russia was in the middle of Europe, a relentless war from the fence. Shortly afterwards, the Russian president turned off the gas tap, and in the fall, there was also the brutal terrorist attack by Hamas on Israel. So much suffering, so much bloodshed. Our world has become more turbulent and rougher. It is changing at an almost breathtaking speed. We too must therefore change. In his New Year address, Russian President Vladimir Putin made only a passing reference to the war in Ukraine. He did not mention Ukraine by name, nor the so-called special military operation. This is a sharp contrast to last year when Putin stood behind soldiers and made a stern call for sacrifice. Today, I would like to address our military personnel, everyone who is at a combat post, at the forefront of the fight for truth and justice. You are our heroes. Our hearts are with you. We are proud of you and admire your courage. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky did directly address the war in his New Year's speech. His main message is that the country has become stronger due to the conflict. However, Zelensky's 20-minute video message made almost no direct reference to the situation on the front line or the limited success of his counteroffensive. Each of us fought, worked, waited, helped, lived and hoped this year. In our own way, everyone. But everyone will find something common to all Ukrainians this year, the major result of the year. Its main achievement, Ukraine has become stronger. Ukrainians grew stronger. And lastly, French President Emmanuel Macron used his 2024 address partly to talk about the upcoming European Parliament elections in June. Macron says voters will decide whether to continue to build the European project or to block it. He didn't hesitate to take a pro-EU stance. Next June, you will have to decide whether to continue rearming our European sovereignty in the face of peril, to stop Russia and support the Ukrainians, or give in to the authoritarian powers in Ukraine, to continue Europe or block it, 
to continue the ecological and productive transition or turn back the clock, to affirm the strength of liberal democracies or give in to the lies that sow chaos. And Chinese Communist Party leader Xi Jinping is making moves toward Taiwan. He called reunification inevitable in a speech on New Year's Eve. In contrast to the democratic process in Taiwan, in just two weeks the island is electing a new president and holding parliamentary elections. The Chinese Communist Party has been ramping up military pressure to assert its claim over Taiwan, despite never having ruled the island. Taiwan's leader was quick to respond to Xi's comments. What is the future of cross-strait relations? I think it should be consistent with the principles of democracy, that is, finding the joint will of Taiwan's people in order to make a decision. After all, we are a democratic country. As for what course to follow in relations with China, we have to follow the democratic process. Tsai said the people of Taiwan want peace, but they want peace with dignity. Beijing has cast Taiwan's election as a choice between war and peace and has refused multiple offers of talks by President Tsai. Beijing last week threatened further economic measures after it accused Taiwan of erecting trade barriers. Tsai said Taiwanese companies must look globally and diversify. Coming up, from South Korea to the NFL, an Atlanta Falcons kicker took the spotlight in 2023. What were some of his biggest accomplishments and what's he looking forward to in 2024? And veterans get a second chance at life with the help of some four-legged friends. We look at how these pups make a difference and the challenges the trainers face today. More shortly here on NTD News Today. Welcome back. Tourists in Venice, Italy will likely be seeing some new rules. City leaders have announced a new law to limit organized walking tour groups to 25 people. It bans tourist groups from using loudspeakers and stopping in certain narrow streets, bridges and passageways. It's all part of a broader effort to balance growing tourism demands and the needs of people who actually live there. The resolution will have to go before the city council next and would come into force on June 1st. A new experience is taking tourists by storm. It's part of a mini cruise and involves walking on the Arctic ice and swimming in the frozen waters near the Arctic Circle. Here's NTD's Cost Jimenez with more on the chilly adventure. While cold showers are good for your health, some people are taking it a step further. Their adventure involves joining a polar exhibition in the Baltic Sea between Sweden and Finland. From November till April, the water in its northernmost part is mostly frozen. And tourists can book a day cruise on board an icebreaker boat, which departs from Sweden near the border with Finland. The, this one uh, you got a special shape of the hull, especially the bow has, has a special icebreaker uh, bow on it. and. Uh, and uh, compared to uh, uh, a similar vessel not designed for icebreaking, then they have more horse horsepower. The boat has since been repurposed for the tourism industry. Yeah, it's a big responsibility, and uh, uh, but that's uh, a part of the game here. 
that's why we are doing this, it's to take out people and show them how we make ice roads. During the few hours of the cruise, passengers can admire the stunning views from the main deck and even take a plunge into the icy waters. Normally everyone swims, even people are not considering in the beginning, they think now that's not for me, it's too scary, too dangerous, too cold. When they see, they understand that it's not uh, scary at all and everyone, you don't have to uh, have a swimming skills, you cannot drown in these suits. And they're very warm, we're dressing them over the uh, normal clothes, it's not a bikini, so you put it on your, even in your upper clothes. The suits are made of double-layered neoprene and are designed for people to starfish in the water easily. And people are visibly loving the experience. I loved it. Uh, it was everything I hoped it would be in After a cold plunge, guests can then have lunch inside and afterwards go for a stroll on the ice. Finland's province of Lapland is expecting a record tourism season after a drop in travel during the pandemic. In addition to more visitors willing to spend more money to make the trip unforgettable. A three-hour cruise on the Polar Explorer costs around $300. This winter season, the company expects to see up to 18,000 passengers on board the Polar Explorer. Kost Hemenes, NTD News. And in sports news, let's take a look at the story of the elite pro football kicker from Seoul, Young Wei Koo who was once a soccer prodigy. He's generating more and more excitement in the NFL. When he was signed, Koo became the fourth player in NFL history who was born in South Korea. The entire stadium yells Koo every time he lines up to kick, and he's incredibly good. In fact, he's second in the NFL's all-time field goal percentage list. We hear some of Koo's biggest achievements over the last year and what he's looking forward to in 2024. Happy Coup Year's Eve. Kick is away. It is perfect. 21-19 the final. Young Way Coup kicks the game winner. Your journey, how would you describe it bringing you here? It's unbelievable. I'm grateful. I think that's how I describe it because the journey was really, it's, it's, it's been special. Sports really bridged the gap for me in terms of culture. You know, first moving to the United States, middle school, not speaking English. I grew up playing soccer and, you know, it, it was kind of a natural thing for me. I didn't know really what a football was or NFL was. I was definitely driven from a young age, so um, I wanted to be a professional athlete. Your Instagram profile says, just a kid from Korea living his dream. What's life like for Young Wei Koo? It's a dream, literally. <laughs> just learning how to be a pro and all that stuff is a dream come true um, because I didn't even know it was a thing at one point in my life. A dream come coup. <laughs> Only 32 people in the world get right. to do your job. What, what does that mean to be part of that? Man, it's an honor and I'm just grateful for the opportunity that I got throughout my journey. And I definitely didn't get here by myself. So I'm thankful for everyone that, you know, opened the doors for me. Some people might think your greatest strength is your right leg. What do you think your greatest strength is? I think my mental game, just mm. learning over the course of my journey and my career. I think I had a coach say, you can't make kicks until you make it between your ears. Wow. And I think that, that uh, holds true for me. Let's talk about this past year. What was 2023 like for Young Wei Koo? It was a big year for me, man. I got married, uh, got a second <laughs> dog, you know. 
Life is good. Fur babies. Yeah, fur babies. Um, I always, you know, talk to my wife now. It's like we're on our own time, you know, just like the same thing as nobody's perfect. It's perfect being us and right timings. And I'm just grateful for, you know, life. I know as football players, we're taught to live in the moment, but I want to ask you to look forward to 2024. What are you looking forward to in 2024? I'm really, you know, looking forward to just continuing this journey and no matter what may, it may bring, just having the attitude of appreciating and growing from all the moments that I'll uh, encounter. All right, what do you say to kick the new year off right? We literally kick some good fortune. We're gonna go on the 24, the 24 yard field goal and we make it, then it's good fortune for everyone in the world in 2024. I love it. Let's try it? Let's All right, it. let's do it. Boom, baby! <laughs> let's go, baby. Good stuff, man. Happy Q year. <laughs> Happy New Year. <laughs> And in health news, excessive cell phone use is a real problem in this day and age. How to cut down becomes the big question. Well, here's Gina Marie with Strong Mind and Body. Many of us have wasted more time scrolling on our phones than would like to admit. Smartphone addiction has become a widespread problem. It ranges from wasted time and neglected work to strained relationships and poor mental health. It can be hard to unglue yourself from your phone. It can even stir up complex emotions. So what makes our smartphones so irresistible? Having a basic understanding of what you are up against is an important step. It can help you fight back against cell phone addiction. Here are four of the most powerful explanations for our phones hold over us. Number one, the pull of notifications. The pings and red dots of notifications on our smartphones are cunningly designed. They grab our attention and evoke a sense of urgency. They make it hard to focus on anything else. This is because they constantly remind us of the unfinished business we have elsewhere. Number two, the fear of missing out. We scroll endlessly on our phones because consuming this content feels good. It might be the latest news, updates from our friends or entertainment. No wonder we feel a strong fear that we're missing out on something important when that flow gets cut off. Number three, a temporary cure for boredom. Let's face it, many adults use their phone as the equivalent of a child's pacifier. We reach for it when we're bored, uncertain and even scared. This provides a temporary fix by way of distraction, but ultimately it only pushes the problem down the road for another time. It's rare that we come back from a session on our phones more ready to tackle a boring task. Here are a few quick tips that you can employ straight away to cut your cell phone use. Turn off all but the most essential notifications. Set small gradual goals for cutting use. Keep only important apps on your phone. Explore alternative hobbies. Keep your phone out of sight and designate phone-free time. For some veterans, returning to civilian life can be a challenge. Unseen scars can make everyday tasks more difficult. For those affected by mental health issues, here, there's hope that a little help from a four-legged friend can make all the difference. However, a shortage of volunteers willing to raise and train service dogs means not enough veterans can get the assistance they need. Now there's new push to get corporate America to step in to meet the demand to train service pups for those who served. Joe Nieves and his best friend Jem are inseparable. She knows when I'm having a bad day. She knows when I'm anxious. She's like my co-pilot. 
The retired Army Staff Sergeant struggles with post-traumatic stress disorder and bipolar disorder, exacerbated, he says, by his time in Iraq. Jem is there to help. If I'm really depressed and I'm having a hard time getting out of bed, she'll come, she'll lay right next to me. Just having that presence has really done a lot for me and my mental health. Nieve says she almost never leaves his side. But for the most part, she comes with me everywhere. We are like Batman and Robin. Sometimes I get to be Batman. <laughs> and like every good hero, Jem too has an origin story. So this is Jem's puppy book. It was given to me by Miss Wendy Pascal, who was the pup volunteer puppy raiser who raised Jem. The pair were brought together by a collaboration between service dog organization Canine Companions and the Penn Fed Credit Unions Foundation as part of an initiative to provide support animals for veterans and others with a disability. It means a lot to me to know how loved she was. But the program currently has a two-year wait list because there aren't enough people like Jem's puppy raiser Wendy. <laughs> and Andrea McCarran. I'm the president of the PenFed Foundation and a six-time puppy raiser. People ask me every day, how can you love, nurture, raise, train a puppy from age eight weeks to 18 months and then say goodbye? And to be honest, it's brutal, but how can I not? If I don't do it, who will? The partnered organizations are now looking to corporations to help meet the growing demand for well-trained pups. They pay the veterinary bills, they provide the food, training supplies. Having a service dog in the office really builds that culture of teamwork. Everyone can work together for something greater than themselves. She says sharing the responsibility with colleagues and meeting the veterans can ease the heartbreak. It is hard to say goodbye, but it's better to say hello to the veteran whose life was changed. <laughs> veterans like Nieves, who says Jem makes him feel like a better person. Our shortcomings sometimes get the better of us and we can get trapped in a space that's unhealthy and they can literally pull you out of out of that darkness for a few minutes. It's nice. Let's go. If you have any news tips or feedback for the show, please feel free to email us at news.today at ntd.com. Welcome to NTD News Today. Here are today's top stories. The Israeli army lays out its predictions for fighting in 2024. Here what's leading to some reservists going home from Gaza. Japan has lowered its major tsunami warning level after a series of earthquakes hit the, its western coastline, but officials are urging caution. Find out the latest. The latest from the southern border. More than six million illegal immigrants now living freely in the U.S., according to government numbers. We'll speak with a former border agent. It took a Freedom of Information Act request, but we now know what's in an FDA report on Moderna and possibly unsafe practices making COVID vaccines. Shenyun audiences in California say they're moved and uplifted. Find out more about the performing arts group that took to the stage in San Jose over the weekend. The deadline for the proposed merger between the PGA Tour and Live Golf has reportedly been extended, but with some new investors included, NTD's Dave Martin will join us to discuss. This is NTD News Today, live from our NTD Global Headquarters. 
Here are Stephania Cox and Chris Beers. The Israel Defense Force says they don't see a quick end to the war in Gaza. A senior IDF spokesman said yesterday that Israeli forces are preparing for prolonged fighting and announced some related steps. These days, we are also adjusting the plan of forces, deployment in Gaza, and in the arrangement of reservists. Some of the reservist soldiers will return to their families and their jobs this week. This will allow a significant relief for the economy and will allow them to gather strength ahead of the coming activities in the next year, and the fighting will continue and we will need them. The IDF says the adjustments are meant to ensure planning and preparation for the rest of 2024. It added that Israeli forces must plan ahead with the understanding that they will be required to do more missions and that fighting will continue throughout the year. Hamas fired rockets at Israel as soon as the new year began, with at least 12 rockets intercepted. The IDF condemned the attack, citing 129 Israelis still being held by Gaza Hamas. In the Red Sea, shipping company Maersk confirmed today that a merchant ship was attacked by Houthi vessels on Saturday. The incident led to U.S. Navy helicopters sinking three Houthi boats, killing the attackers. And Japan dropped its high, highest level tsunami alert after a series of earthquakes hit its western coastline today. Residents were cautioned not to return to their homes as deadly waves could still be coming. Prime Minister Fumio Kishida said earlier that authorities would respond to disasters in a way that puts human life first. I would like to ask all residents to continue to pay close attention to the occurrence of this strong earthquake. If you are in a region where a tsunami is expected, please evacuate as soon as possible. Japan's weather agency reported more than a dozen quakes off its western coast around 4 p.m. local time, the largest with a preliminary magnitude of 7.6. The first waves were reported hitting the coast about 10 minutes later. A government spokesman said at least six homes were damaged in the quake. Fires broke out in the affected areas and more than 30,000 homes were without power. Japanese authorities warned that torrents could reach as high as 16 feet. The warning has now been downgraded to a tsunami advisory. The agency said aftershocks are also possible in the same area in the coming days. The Japanese government said another magnitude 7 quake hit the same area at 11 p.m., but later corrected it to a magnitude 3. A major earthquake and tsunami in 2011 caused meltdowns at the Fukushima nuclear plant. The area hit today does have a nuclear plant nearby. A government spokesman said no irregularities have been detected at any nuclear power plants in Japan. And as we head into a big election year, many unknowns on the horizon and many moving parts. We hear from Roger Simon, who's the director of the Presidential Roller Coaster 2024 on Epic TV. And he's also the author of a new book, American Refugees. And he joins us now. Roger, looking ahead as we begin this election year, Trump had an unprecedented year last year with one indictment after another, but he still seems to be going strong. What factors do you think could impact his campaign in the months ahead? Well, we've got one coming up in a week or so. We've got uh, a, a new CNN debate, but this time uh, the, the flashy and interesting Mr. Vivek Ramaswamy is not invited. And I have a feeling, in fact, I'm almost certain that this was uh, fixed up by CNN to get him off because they, 
they did not like what he did last week, which was he interrupted their, uh, their uh, he did a town hall with them, interrupting their hostess by talking about January 6th in a way that they didn't like. Oh. And, you know, I think we're going to be seeing more of this as we get into the year, because uh, the the networks are very, very biased, and they're going to be biased against Trump. They're going to be biased in a small way against Ramaswamy. So it, it, um, okay. that's one of the, the things coming up. I, by the way, I wanted to say one thing. It has nothing to do with the election. I am wearing a Japanese tie today that I just took out of my closet for the first time in, in many years in solidarity with my wonderful friends in Japan where I have visited often, and mm -hmm. I think it's one of the greatest places in the world, and we should all wish them very well that they have terrible experiences with earthquakes. Absolutely. It's a big day for them. Thank you for that. Um, so coming back to your predictions for the year ahead and in the election cycle, what, what are you seeing for potential things to watch out for for the other candidates at the moment, aside from Trump? Uh, you know, I, I have a feeling that after the first uh, initial round of primaries, uh, there's going to be a lot of dropouts. Uh, even, you know, uh, Chris Christie was motivated primarily by his personal distaste for Trump. I think uh, he's going to run out of money and disappear. I think that Ramaswamy may also run out of money. Um, I don't think he'll disappear, but he'll run out of money. Uh, so I, I think that by that point, you know, the, it, we're not looking, we're not that far away from Super Tuesday. And Super Tuesday um, will likely put Trump in a position where there is no, it's all over. And the, uh, the, major, the major question will be, will any of the legal attacks by the Department of Justice, etc., against Trump, Georgia, and so forth, stick? Yeah. Uh, looks like not right now. Okay. But anything's possible. That's true. And I, you know, as I say, I'm not a lawyer and I didn't sleep at the Holiday Inn. No. So <laughs> no. that's where we are. But nevertheless, um, I think it, the real mystery, I think, is going to be who is going to be the Democrats' candidate rather yeah. than a Republican what candidate. What factors do you, what do you anticipate there and why? Well, there are a, a number of names being bandied about. I'm going to throw one out there that might surprise people in the NTD audience or not. And that's uh, uh, the wife of the previous president, Michelle Obama. Okay. Uh, I think that there is pressure being put on her internally to run. Talk is she has a very cushy lifestyle, which indeed she does, that uh, she would be having to give up by running for the presidency, but I think that they're looking, they're thrashing around for someone uh, to replace, Obama, uh, replace uh, Biden. Uh, Biden has reason to stay in the election, and one of the big reasons that he has to stay in the election is legal. With all the legal challenges against him, which are in some ways stronger than those against Trump, mm. he will, he, he, he has to at least hang in there long enough so that he can um, absolve himself of all responsibilities as well as his son. Mm. Yeah, there's a lot to watch out for here. And as you pointed out, some 
pretty interesting moving parts. Roger Simon, author of American Refugees, thank you so much. Thank you. I'm gonna, it's, listen, it's going to be an interesting year. Yes, for sure. All right. House lawmakers are granting Harvard more time to respond to a probe. The House Election Com Education Committee is looking into allegations of plagiarism against the school's president, Claudine Gay. The committee now pushed back the December 29th deadline for Harvard to provide answers. The committee changed the deadline due to the holidays and office closures. Harvard has acknowledged that Gay plagiarized in her dissertations and other papers. That included using direct language from work from other scholars without putting that language in quotation marks. President Gay has retained her position and the university's top governing body has said it stands behind her. The House Committee is seeking all documents and communications concerning the review of Gay's papers. That includes meeting minutes and transcripts. Coming up, John Doe, no longer. A ruling by a judge in the Jeffrey Epstein case could put some prominent figures in the hot seat, including an ex-president. A new year, new laws. From abortion bans to minimum wage raises, what to know about the new legislation that's taking effect today? More in just a moment here on NTD News Today. Several prominent people, including former President Bill Clinton and Britain's Prince Andrew, could be getting some unwanted attention this week. This as many secret court papers about the late sex offender Jeffrey Epstein will become public. The documents are from a 2015 lawsuit from Epstein accuser Virginia Giuffre. A judge decided that there's no good reason to keep the ex-president's name and over 150 other names hidden in the records. The names were previously known only as John and Jane Doe's. Clinton will allegedly be revealed as John Doe 36. Manhattan federal judge Loretta Preska made this decision just before Christmas. The judge said the documents can be opened after January 1st. Senator Lindsey Graham suggests former President Trump might be immune from prosecution. That's in the case alleging Trump tried to overturn the 2020 election. A CBS News anchor asked the Republican senator if he thinks Trump's immunity claim is legitimate. I think his immunity claim, I don't know how it will, will bear out, but I think it's a legitimate claim. But they're prosecuting him for activity around January the 6th. He didn't break into the Capitol. He gave an, a, a fiery speech, but he's not the first guy to ever do that. So at the end of the day, I think this case will not go to trial before the election. Graham, who is the ranking member of the Senate Judiciary Committee, says there are a lot of legal questions behind this issue. According to the senator, it's not clear what a president can and cannot do. Special counsel Jack Smith charged Trump with trying to illegally overturn the 2020 election. Trump's lawyers say that he was commander-in-chief at the time that he was acting in his capacity as president. They argue this means he's immune from prosecution. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis stayed busy campaigning on New Year's Eve. The presidential candidate attended a New Year's Eve event in West Des Moines, Iowa, asking people if they were ready to work hard and win the Iowa caucuses. 
So let's get it done. We have 2024 ahead of us. Uh, we hold the future in our hands. We have it within our power uh, to put this country on a totally new trajectory. And the way I view the, the choice in this primary, uh, Donald Trump is running on his issues. Nikki Haley is running on her donors' issues. I'm the only one running on your issues. DeSantis hit the campaign trail during the week be between Christmas and New Year's. The presidential candidate stayed focused on his drive to touch all 99 of Iowa's counties. DeSantis and his supporters asked the audience Sunday to ignore polls that still show him trailing Trump by a significant margin. This was just two weeks left. This was just two weeks left before the Iowa contest. Law enforcement reportedly swatted the home of Delaware computer repairman John Paul McIsaac. He became known after going public with the contents of Hunter Biden's laptop. McIsaac says he wasn't home at the time that the officers responded quickly and professionally. He called the swatting incident a waste of time, saying, quote, nothing will take him out of the fight. Swatting is the act of making a false report to law enforcement. The goal is to get authorities, particularly a SWAT team, to show up at a certain address. Looking now at the U.S.-Mexico border, a new government report shows a sharp rise in the number of non-detained illegal immigrants in the U.S., now more than 6 million people. That's up from 4.7 million in 2022. To delve into this and more, we spoke with Victor Avila, a retired supervisory special agent with U.S. Immigration and Customs Homeland Security Investigations. Victor Avila, you've just been down there at the border in Eagle Pass, Texas. What did you see? I'll tell you what I saw. Um, nothing that I've seen in my 20 years of my professional career or personal life working this border and uh, just the sheer numbers of of illegals coming in through our country is uh, it's just something that uh, I go through a lot of mixed emotions when I stand there because I don't recognize our country, especially when it com comes to law and order. Uh, our constitution is being ignored. Our immigration laws are being ignored, not just by this administration, by, but, but the rest of the world uh, sending their people as well. Yeah, what is the demographic of the people coming across at the moment? I'll tell you who's not coming. Now, the people that you would think that a lot of people think, well, they'll be Mexicans or Central Americans, but that's not the case. You got South Americans, Asians, Haitians, uh, Africans, uh, Western Europeans. You got people from all over the world coming into um, uh, th this southern portion of, uh, of Texas, but also Arizona. Uh, a lot of special interest aliens, what we call SIAs, that come from special interest countries that the Department of Homeland Security categorize them as having potential connections to terrorist groups. And these individuals are also coming. I'm talking from countries like Bangladesh, Yemen, Somalia, etc. Wow. And you also have extensive experience fighting human trafficking and child trafficking. Tell me about what you've called fraudulent families that you said you've seen at the border. Absolutely. I'm a subject matter expert in human trafficking investigations. And uh, one of the things that I learned and the intel that I've received and the, the cartels are forming these fraudulent families where they form this man, woman and child that are not next of kin to each other. They're not related at all. Uh, they sometimes force the mother to give them up. Believe it or not, sometimes the parents give up the child willingly because of the coercion. Sometimes that the cartel tells them we will get you smuggled a different direction and reunite you with your child on the other end of the border. But we know that that hasn't happened at least 100,000 times and that this administration has lost these number of kids. 
but um, there's, there's a lot of that fraud coming over with family units because they know that the family units get treated differently once they come into the U.S. And because there is no DNA testing, there is no enforcement of our law, the cartels, uh, along with other NGO groups, by the way, non-government organizations are taking advantage of this. And you showed footage of a Border Patrol checkpoint outside of Eagle Pass, Texas, that was closed recently, saying that it was a national security risk. Why do you think it would be closed at this time? Well, the, the Border Patrol has pulled every single personnel that they have available, everybody, including these checkpoints that we have, as a last resort to try to keep and identify some of the human smugglers, obviously the drug traffickers that use these highways to enter further into the United States. By the way, this is not the only checkpoint that's closed. There's others along the Texas border and Arizona border that have also been closed because they've pulled the Border Patrol personnel to come down to the border and process the illegals. The other part of the CBP, the Customs and Border Protection Office of Field Operations, the, the, uh, the men and women in blue uniforms, if you will, mm. uh, have also been pulled from the ports of entry. As a matter of fact, in Eagle Pass, Texas, the port was closed in one lane and there was a tremendous amount of traffic, so much that it's taking people 12 hours to cross from Mexico into the U.S. in yeah. a vehicle. Wow. Now, the Biden administration is threatening to sue Texas over its new border security law. If they can't enforce border laws, what can overwhelmed border states like Texas do to deal with this issue? Well, I'll tell you, Texas is trying to do everything legislatively at this point. And yes, the law has been signed uh, by Governor Abbott, and it's called SB4, and it will take an effect in March. And already we see the Biden administration fighting for the safety and, uh, and protection of the Americans and Texans instead of uh, jumping along here and protecting our country. No, the Biden administration sides with the cartels, sides with the other countries, fighting our effort to secure the border. Mm. And I want to make something clear with SB4. This is for uh, individuals that will be identified coming across the, uh, the river uh, illegally that will uh, be detained by the state of Texas and possibly uh, repatriated right then and there, sent back. This is not an operation that's going to go around the state of Texas looking for people and identifying illegals. They will be identified right then and there at the river. All right. Thank you so much, Victor Avila. Always great to speak with you. Supreme Court Chief Justice John Roberts is concerned about artificial intelligence. In, the end, in his end-of-the-year report yesterday, he says AI poses a threat to the judicial system. He said while AI can increase access to legal information for people, especially those unable to hire a lawyer, he also sees dangers with the tech. Roberts said AI could invade a person's privacy and dehumanize the law. The committee overseeing policy for the federal courts will soon examine AI's proper use in litigation. In his report, Roberts didn't discuss disputes involving former President Trump or the court's new code of conduct. New year, new laws. There are a number of new rules coming to, into effect today. Some of them include bans on cross-sex procedures, abortion access, and an increase to the minimum wage. Idaho and Louisiana are now banning cross-sex surgeries and procedures for minors. On the other hand, Maryland passed protections for cross-sex procedures and requires Medicaid to cover them. Washington State and California passed laws that will attempt to make abortion procedures more accessible, including to out-of-state patients. Nearly half of all U.S. states will increase their minimum wage this year. Washington will continue to have the highest minimum wage, while Hawaii will see the largest increase in minimum wage. 
and student loan payments may now affect how much people are able to save for retirement. A new law will allow student loan payments to boost 401ks for some workers. Expired materials anti-contamination rules broken. A new FDA report cites multiple shortcomings at a Moderna plant used to make COVID vaccines. The FDA inspected a Massachusetts plant nine times in September. They discovered that machines making a substance used in the vaccine weren't cleaned well before use. Other findings included written alarm steps being ignored and machines in workplaces not designed to prevent contamination. Inspectors also learned that Moderna used materials beyond their expiration date, with more than 2,000 expired items found in the warehouse. The report was initially delivered to Moderna to help them comply with federal law. The FDA's media office refused to release it publicly, but it was obtained through a Freedom of Information Act request. Hotel workers in California went on strike yesterday right before the Rose Parade and Rose Bowl game in Pasadena. The workers want higher wages, better health insurance, and they say they want fairer workloads. People attending the Rose Parade and Rose Bowl game were advised to avoid the picket lines. Anticipated crowds of 800,000 will gather today to witness the 135th annual New Year's Day tradition. The Rose Parade featuring floral floats, equestrian units, and marching bands parading through the streets. Following the parade, the 110th annual Rose Bowl game is set to begin at 1 p.m. local time, featuring a match between the Alabama Crimson Tide and the Michigan Wolverines. It's like the plot of Home Alone 2 playing out in real life. Frontier Airlines says it accidentally flew a 16-year-old to Puerto Rico when he had a ticket for Cleveland. It says both flights were departing from the same gate in Tampa on December 22nd. Ryan Lowe's says his son Logan was nervously flying alone for the first time in order to visit his mother. The teen says a gate worker checked his ticket but didn't scan it and told him he was boarding the right flight. That's how he ended up on the Caribbean island until the airline could get him to the right location. Frontier did not immediately comment on the boy's claim the gate attendant never scanned his boarding pass. And some, some powdered baby formula is being pulled from the shelves due to contamination issues. The FDA warned consumers yesterday of possible bacterial contamination and Reckitt Mead Johnson's Nutramedian hyperallergenic powdered infant formula products. Manufacturers voluntarily recalled more than 670,000 cans of the formula. That was after the formula tested positive for chronobacter bacteria, which can cause rare but potentially deadly infections in newborns. The FDA says that no illnesses have been reported to date. Up next, contention in the Vatican. Pope Francis's recent declaration allowing Catholic priests to bless same-sex couples is drawing criticism. And mass protests in a central Chinese city after the mysterious death of a 14-year-old schoolboy. What are the demonstrators saying? We'll have the details soon when we return. Thank you for staying with us. A recent declaration by the Vatican allows Catholic priests to bless same-sex couples, but a close aide to the last pope says he never would have approved of that. This as the Vatican marked the first anniversary yesterday of Pope Benedict XVI's death. There is no homosexual matrimony, it doesn't, doesn't exist, cannot exist.
The Vatican's landmark declaration on December 18th said same-sex blessings cannot resemble the sacrament of matrimony between a man and a woman. But some pro-LGBT advocates saw it as a possible precursor of same-sex marriage in the church. Chinese Communist Party leader Xi Jinping is making moves toward Taiwan. He called reunification inevitable in a speech on New Year's Eve. It contrasts, it contrasts with the democratic process in Taiwan. In just two weeks, the island is electing a new president and holding parliamentary elections. The Chinese Communist Party has been ramping up military pressure to assert its claim over Taiwan, despite never having ruled the island. Taiwan's leader was quick to respond to Xi's comments. What is the future of cross-strait relations? I think it should be consistent with the principles of democracy, that is, finding the joint will of Taiwan's people in order to make a decision. After all, we are a democratic country. As for what course to follow in relations with China, we have to follow the democratic process. So I said the people of Taiwan want peace, but they want peace with dignity. Beijing has cast Taiwan's election as a choice between war and peace and has refused multiple offers of talks by President Tsai. Beijing last week threatened further economic measures after it accused Taiwan of erecting trade barriers. Tsai said Taiwanese companies must look globally and diversify. Could we see a Chinese Wagner Group? Similar to the Wagner Group, Russia's private military company, China is expanding its private security industry, deploying contractors abroad to safeguard Chinese interests. These firms, often linked to the Chinese Communist Party, are discreetly increasing their global presence. This poses a potential national security threat as these entities can serve as tools of the CCP's foreign policy. Earlier, I spoke with economic national security analyst Antonio Graceffo for analysis. Antonio Graceffo, thank you so much for joining us again. What do we know about these firms? Well, the Chinese uh, private security companies are, you know, obviously based out of China. There's several thousand of these companies. Uh, there's about 40 of them that are working outside of China. And we know that they have to have CCP ownership, you know, partial ownership by the CCP, which means at the end of the day, they are beholden to the CCP and can be used as uh, tools of the CCP for, for policy objectives. And what does that mean in terms of uh, U.S. national interest, uh, national security? Well, where I'm concerned uh, about U.S. national security is that these firms are popping up all over the world. They're in Latin America. They're in uh, Africa. Uh, they're in Southeast Asia. Particularly the ones in Latin America are concerning to me because this is in America's backyard. And these firms will t typically be in places where China is uh, also conducting a lot of investments, a lot of construction. These are places where China is starting to get a foothold and a diplomatic foothold, and, and they, they could begin squeezing out the United States. That's one of my concerns. And the other one is that they do intelligence gathering. And how many of these CCP-linked private companies are there? There are a couple of thousand in China, but there's about 40 that are working outside of China, and they're actually in about 40 countries right now. Got it. Um, are they anything like the Wagner Group we hear so much about, um, the mercenaries that are helping Russia win the uh, fight the war in Ukraine? There are some similarities. Wagner uh, technically is called a private military company, whereas these are private security companies. The difference is that private military companies 
conduct training for the military of foreign countries, but they also fight alongside the local military. So these private security companies, we would not expect them to be fighting in a war in the field. However, they would possibly be fighting if there were civil unrest or, you know, riots, uh, you know, say, say in the capital city or if they were protecting a particular asset that they might fight. Um, in Sudan, for example, some Chinese workers were pinned down by warring militias. The PLA refused to uh, to leave their barracks, and uh, the private security company couldn't rescue the people because they didn't have weapons. So, you know, so on the one hand, there is this possibility that they would wind up fighting, but uh, it's also unlikely. And talk to us a bit more about these this control over weapons. Yeah, so inside of China, most of these companies are not allowed to have guns. I think there's only about four uh, private security uh, contractors that are allowed to have weapons. And um, inside of China, guns are very strictly uh, uh, controlled. Even ammunition is controlled. So if you see Chinese soldiers in China and they have weapons, uh, they generally do not have ammunition because the CCP doesn't even trust its own people. What do you think the U.S. should be doing about these Chinese private security firms? I think we need to absolutely need to monitor them because, as I said, they're doing intelligence gathering. Also, they're part of China's uh, diplomatic push, their power projection, and they are doing training for local police. And that's one of the inroads that China takes is that they will train the junior police officers in a foreign country, and then that will create police officers that are more sympathetic towards China. And as they move up the, the ladder and they get promotions, then China will have high-ranking friends. So we need to monitor that. And I think we need to offer viable alternatives. We should offer uh, private security uh, uh, services and training and so forth. And do we have anything of like that now? We do, but you know, in the United States, everything is private, so everything is a bit uh, discoordinated. Whereas in China, Xi Jinping—it's like he's playing a big chess game, and he can pick up you know, one piece and move it, you know, where he wants it, or another piece and move it where he wants it. So he can just order all the private security firms to do X, Y, or Z, and they'll do it. In America, what we have to do is we have to have—we um, have to facilitate the opportunity for American companies to earn a profit overseas by doing this type of work. But I think that that's, that's the step that we need to take. All right, Antonio Graceffo, this has been fascinating. Thank you so much. Thank you, Chris. Thousands in China are unsatisfied with official reports about the death of a teenager. Authorities say he fell from a building on campus, but photos of his remains have ignited other speculation. Just a warning, some viewers may find the following content disturbing. Thousands of citizens in Shangshu City took to the streets Thursday protesting the death of a 14-year-old boy. We spoke to one of the demonstrators. To protect her identity, we distorted her voice. There were injuries all over his body, on his ankles, feet, and legs, and also broken bones. Authorities said he committed suicide by jumping off a building. I'm sure no one would accept it. Our whole family came out to ask for justice for this child. We for sure are worried. Every family has children. Just a warning, some viewers may find the following footage disturbing due to its graphic nature. On December 24th, Christmas Eve, the boy died while at school. Photos show his body covered in bruises with multiple wounds in his arms. Some of the wounds were deep enough to show bone. The boy's ankle was also broken. A student who claimed to be from the same school shared a video about the incident online. 
In it, he said that the deceased may have been beaten to death by his classmates in the bathroom the night of the 23rd, and that later the school authorities threw his body off the building to fake a suicide. The boy's family disagreed with the suicide claim and came out to protest in front of the school. It took a dramatic turn when county authorities issued an official announcement on Wednesday saying the boy had not been killed and restating suicide as his cause of death. The next day, thousands took to the streets, speaking out for the teenager and his family. If another family's child isn't safe, your child is for sure not safe either. Something like this may happen to your child too. This kind of thing has happened in many places before, so you're concerned for sure. On Thursday, one protester also rushed into a state building where state media operates offices. Local residents say hundreds of police officers were deployed to the scene where they set up roadblocks. Attempts to quell the protest also went digital. A Shangju citizen shared a text message he received from the local police station, threatening people not to go near the school where the incident occurred. Shangju City also closed all highways around the city in response. Coming up, a man fulfills a promise he made with his future wife back when the two of them were just teenagers. We take a look at the dream house he built. And Shen Yun audiences in California say they're moved and uplifted. Find out more about the performing arts group that took to the stage in San Jose over the weekend. More shortly here on NTD News Today. Some wishes do come true in life. This certainly was the case for a woman from South Carolina. When she and her husband were teens, he promised his future wife that he would one day build her the old-fashioned home of her dreams. He's now made good on that promise 15 years later. Let's take a look. Brittany Smith has always had a deep love for old architecture. She met her husband, Mark, in high school. As a child who grew up in old homes, Brittany had a dream at the time. After dating for a while, he and I, you know, the natural discussion and progression of the relationship started moving towards houses and things of that nature. And we started, you know, discussing what kind of home we wanted to live in. And I had always wanted to live in a historic older home and renovate it, but he had no desire to work on the older homes. So he came up with this compromise that he and I would one day build a new old home. And I was going on and on about how one day I wanted to live in one of those older houses and, you know, fix it up. And he said, why don't one day I'll build you a house and we'll make it look just like those houses. But it won't come with all of those old house issues. The couple married in 2011 and in 2017, they bought a home in foreclosure to renovate. Two years later, the couple found a dream piece of property by the lake just a few miles up the road. They were given the opportunity to buy it just days before the property hit the market. With the money they made from the foreclosure, they had enough to get started with building Brittany's new old dream house. In some of the older homes that I grew up in, they were mill homes that were on mill villages. Those homes were more humble and small. I didn't grow up in like elaborate historic homes. They were very small, humble, older homes. And a lot of the woodwork on those walls was beadboard. And so in this home, I used beadboard 
um, as my main wall covering as many places as I could because it just feels so nostalgic and special to me. My front doors are over 100 years old. It took a lot of work to get them workable again. They came off of the very first pharmacy in a small town in North Carolina. And so being able to reuse those was really special. The task was not what the building contractors were used to. A lot of them thought that I was kind of crazy, especially the guy that we had work on our front doors. He thought, why would you want these old doors and why would you put so much work into them? But now when you look at them, like they look so special and perfectly worn. And it's um, one of the features that makes my house truly look like an older home. Now, 15 years after Mark's promise, the couple has completed their dream home, an old-style house with all the conveniences of a new build. To this day, Brittany feels the warmth and kindness from the promise her husband made her years ago and kept. I think that is so special that he understood that desire of my heart, and although he didn't share that same desire, he made it happen for me, and I feel very undeserving of such a selfless kind of love that, you know, he, he didn't just frivolously make this promise, you know, he made it happen. And now for your sports news, we're joined by NTD's Dave Martin. Dave, a big weekend in the NFL, but let's focus on the AFC, the Super Bowl champion, Kansas City Chiefs, clinched their eighth straight division title and the Miami Dolphins were blown out by the Baltimore Ravens. How do you rank the contenders here? Well, the Chiefs have still been winning, but I don't see them, them advancing that far with all the struggles the receivers have shown. Now, Baltimore, I mean, they're the hottest team in the league right now. I can't believe what they just did to Miami yesterday. The Dolphins also just lost linebacker Bradley Chubb to a knee injury. Now, meanwhile, Buffalo has won four straight. The Chiefs aren't as good as they were last year, at least on offense. I still like Miami despite that loss and Buffalo despite their previous struggles. So for rankings, I have Baltimore first, followed by Buffalo just ahead of Miami with the Chiefs behind them. That is my top four anyway. Okay, now Dave, one of the biggest stories in 2023 was the proposed merger between the PGA and Live Golf. Now, they had planned to have something finalized by the end of 2023. Where do they stand now? Yeah, it looks like the deadline has been extended. It also looks like the negotiations are including some U.S. investors, as well as the Saudi Arabia Public Investment Fund, which owns Live Golf. Now, according to a report by ESPN, the new for-profit entity would be called PGA Tour Enterprises. It could receive a total of a $7 billion investment between the U.S. investors, as well as the Saudi Arabia Public Investment Fund but the PGA would still retain control somehow. Now, I think the big deal with getting the Saudis involved is to kind of eliminate Liv as a rival because they've picked off so many of their players. Now, despite them picking off all their players, unfortunately, they just don't have the revenue because they don't get much uh, TV contracts just with their brand being tied to their human rights record with uh, Saudi Arabia, of course. Now, the PGA, they have a brand. They just don't have the deep pockets to be able to keep up right now. So it seems like a good marriage. I'm sure it won't be that simple, but I would think we'll have an announcement coming soon. All right, and no Monday Night Football tonight, at least in the NFL, but a big day in college football uh, at the playoff start. Uh, which matches are you most excited about? 
Well, I like both, but Michigan-Alabama seems like the most intense. I mean, both teams, both are powerhouses with something to prove right now. You know, Michigan, they had the, that alleged sign-stealing scandal that resulted in a suspension for head coach Jim Harbaugh. But they're 0-2 also in the playoffs each of the last two years, despite dominating the regular season. Alabama, meanwhile, they've kind of taken a back seat to the SEC rival Georgia and watched Georgia win the uh, title each of the last two years. I'm sure they want to reassert themselves. Now, the other matchup, Texas-Washington, is interesting because Washington, despite being undefeated, they are underdogs yet again. They had this against Oregon in their conference championship game. They proved them wrong. So I think both games will really be good. All right. Thank you, Dave. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Dave. Happy New Year. You too. And if you're looking for an uplifting experience to bring in the new year, we found just the one for you. That's right. Many theater goers have expressed being moved, inspired, and uplifted during the world tour of Shen Yun Performing Arts. One of its eight dance companies took the stage in California over the weekend. NTD's David Lamb reports. Shen Yun Performing Arts performed in the theater behind me over the weekend. They have plans for San Francisco, Berkeley, and other areas on the West Coast as well. Let's hear what audience members have to say. Patrons watched Shen Yun at the San Jose Center for the Performing Arts in California. It was the second time for this married couple. The first time we were here, the opening music and the opening dance, I was crying. I mean, it was that beautiful, that stunning. To see it for the first time was amazing. I've been fighting cancer for three and a half years. So, you know, Shen Yun just lifts my spirits. Anyone who hasn't seen it, has to come and see it because it will make your heart sing. Shen Yun's mission is to revive traditional Chinese culture and share it with the world. The New York-based company also sheds light on the ongoing persecution of faiths carried out by the Chinese government. It was compelling and it was also educational, for, you know, for me to learn more about that as well. So it was, it was really well done and really moving. I was very emotional. I was tearing up during that piece. It was captivating in a way that I felt like I got a piece of understanding that I didn't have before. The dancing was beautiful. I've worked with ballet companies before doing choreography and to watch the dancers tell the stories through their body movement, uh, through the pantomiming of their actions to bring the stories to the stage in the balcony at the back so we could all see it. I loved it. There's been some horrible experiences around the world and I love the emphasis on kindness. You know, if we put more kindness out, the world would be a better place. And I think that's really valuable and really important to share. David Lamb, NTD News, San Jose, California. That's all for today's news. Thank you for tuning in. Feel free to reach out to us with news tips or feedback at news.today at ntd.com. And we'll be back with more stories tomorrow.